0: and all the different things that we do. Please follow me on Instagram, which is Terry underscore Blackburn underscore property. Or on YouTube, my page is Terry Blackburn Property. <laughs> me myself, I've been from Rags to Riches, had nothing. Now I've built multiple businesses, turning over millions of pounds, <laughs> of a multi-million pound portfolio of property up in the northeast of england i am by no means done yet so please get in touch if you love the show you have any feedback for me i'd really appreciate that and i'm happy to help as many people as i possibly can that's what this show is all about so enjoy the episode take care have a fantastic day and don't just take notes take action just before the podcast starts i just wanted to let you know i've released a book on amazon called be a lion so Be A Lion is about how to dominate and how to be successful in every part of your life. The four main parts of your life being your business or your career, your property, empire, your property, business, uh, your health and fitness, and your relationships. Now, if you can be more successful in those four areas, business, property, health and fitness and relationships, i imagine your life's going to be quite a bit better. It's not one or the other. It's not sacrificing your health and fitness in order to be successful at work. And it's not being really, really wealthy, uh, you know, at the expense of your, your relationship. You can be happy, successful content in every single part of your life. And the book does explain how I do that and how I believe you could replicate what I've done and just be a little bit better in each part of your life. So it's on Amazon, be line. It's 15 quid, cost of a Domino's pizza, I'm sure. Everyone listening to this can afford fifteen quid, and it might just change you, and it might just make you a little bit better in each part of your life. So, pop on Amazon, grab it. That'll be massively appreciated. And enjoy this podcast. Have a fantastic day. Hi, and welcome to the Rags to Riches show with myself, Terry Blackburn. Now, today's guest is a good friend of mine, a fellow uh, guy from the Northeast. Always good to have a Northeast guy in the show. Um, he's went from corporate fit there joiner to. Running a a packaging business nationwide, which arranged £1.2 billion worth of mortgages. Actually, the head of Precise Mortgages, one of the directors, which I'm sure you're all aware of, Precise Mortgages, to win countless awards. Uh, He's just an all-round great, knowledgeable, experienced guy. He's got a portfolio himself. It's going to be a fantastic episode filled with knowledge lessons and learnings uh, really excited for it so welcome to the show roger morris
1: morning terry and um thank you for everybody who's going to
0: hopefully watch this recording yes yes it'll be a great episode roger i've he- I've heard roger speak numerous times on stage at various financial services events uh, roger's been in the financial services world a-, a long time speaks really really well um he's got some um yeah he's got an interesting story but also um, I think some real good views and opinions on what's to come for the property space. So um, so thanks for going on, Rog. Could you just tell us a little bit about your fascinating story going from what you were doing to then running a big business to then sort of elevating precise mortgages to where, where it was when it was sort of floated? Um, that'd be great.
1: Yeah, Terry, I think when you actually look back at at people's stories in life that I think I find quite inspirational, it's where they didn't, they weren't born with a silver spoon in the mouth, Mm. they didn't get the benefit of private education, or specifically that they weren't academic. Um, I always have a, a real classification between what do I hold the biggest value in, sort of being academic or common sense. And... I think my, my philosophy of life has always been this you can always employ academia, but you can't employ common sense. In other words, mm. if you've got the ability to understand what you need and, and change your life, you can find those, those intellectuals around you who don't maybe are blessed with, with common sense. And my journey was right from a, a young age, Terry. No one's ever really believed in me. My my mother used to say when I'd come home with my report card in my hand, I can just see now in junior school and she'd say, Roger, do I need to read that? Or is it straight to your bedroom? And that was it. I just <laughs> said, it's just the same as it always was. Mm. And when I was growing up, my mother and, and my family and my teachers used to say, Rog, you will never amount to anything. And, and I always use those words because I always felt that if you put your mind to anything, you could achieve anything. And, and I thank all those teachers, Terry, who kind of were never enthusiastic about me. And I can remember in my early days as a fireman going through my probation and the station officer at the time, Looked me in the eyes and said, "Rog, the best you will ever achieve in your life will be a good fireman." And I think when opportunities come your way, and you're able to grasp the moment. Um, when I was offered my um, offered to go into mortgages in 1994, the guy who offered me the job said, "You could sell mortgages, Rog." I-, I was driving a lorry two weeks ago. Because then to do mortgages, Ted, it's a two-day um, sort of like process. You know, you, you oh, came dear. in as a fireman. Two days later, you were qualified <laughs> as a mortgage advisor. And I remember going to see my wife at the time and my father and saying, I'm going to train as a mortgage advisor. And they both laughed. They were like, you, mortgage advisor, you need to be intelligent. You'll never do it. And it was that that positivity of them laughing and going you won't do this and i think all the way through my life is you won't do this when we launched precise mortgages everyone was like never heard of them you'll never compete in in the mortgage market particularly the specialist market and what you do is you collect a group of people who believe in making a difference and 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 what you can achieve with positivity terry is just incredible so if for instance if I was coming to see you now let's just say you were in Newcastle we're going to meet and we're going to have a coffee down the quayside I'd put in you'd give me the postcode and I would get there because I would follow that postcode what happens along the way is irrelevant but my destination would always remain I need to be in the town with you to have a beer down at the quayside at three o'clock this afternoon and i know for set off in plenty of time and and no emergencies along the way and even if yeah, you can divert off and and go through the smaller roads i'd get to you and that's my life's philosophy you must always have that
0: end destination mm. yeah i think that's powerful and um what you have said there, be, being a firefighter in business, you're kind of a firefighter as well, and you? are just putting out fires a lot of the time, let's be honest. You're just dealing with issues as a fireman. But I think what, what I took from what you said there is just knowing where you want to go, believing in yourself when others don't. And I really like the, the academic and common sense thing. And we all know people who are really, really academically intelligent who were doing very little with the life. Mm. Right. And we know people who wouldn't the self the, the the admit that they're not academically that intelligent, but they're achieving mm. massive, massive things.
1: Yeah, I, um, I remember being in office in T side, um, and at the time I employed seventy six people, and I and I have mm-hmm. dyslexia, so I I do get my words jumbled up. And I remember it was about five o'clock on a night, and there was two guys there, Steve Gibson and Matthew Strike. If you're both listening in, you'll remember the story. And I was trying to work out in this sentence which two I needed to spell because there's a dyslexic. And by the way, for everybody who doesn't know out there, there's three ways to spell two. Go figure that three ways. Three ways to spell two, right? So I was trying to work out which one it was. I was pretty sure it wasn't the one with the W in. And <laughs> Steve Gibson just laughed and he says, I can't believe someone is as thick as you runs a business like this. And and I said, you must really think you're intelligent. He says, I do, I've got A levels. And Matthew Strike jumped in and said, Steve, who's the most intelligent, you or Roger? Because you're the employee and he's the employer who has 80 odd people making millions of pounds. Who's the most intelligent? And I just thought, wow. That was just because what Matthew then went on to said was when Mm. you've got common sense and you have a clear vision of what you want to achieve in life, you can easily employ intelligent people. Mm. And it's about (laughs) being honest and it's about knowing where your weaknesses are. And, And I always remember that when I was being interviewed as sales director, right at the beginning with Precise Mortgages, Ian Lonergan, our CEO at the time said, Roger, you're a pretty impressive candidate who seems to, Really be confident in every area. You must have a weakness, and and it was always I just get my words a bit jumbled up, and and sometimes when I write emails or messages, I like to, and I have the confidence, Terry, to go, Terry, yeah. I'm going to post this on LinkedIn. <laughs> you just read it for me yeah, yeah. and just check it's okay, and that's the bit in life is nobody is perfect, but what mm-hmm. you've got to do is have a team of people around you that trust you that have your bite, that have the same shared integrity and shared views and shared vision. And if you've got people around you saying you can't do that, then listen to what they're telling you, which is you can do that. But what you want to do is try and is is listen to that negativity and then box it away. Don't be permanently surrounded with you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it, because you can achieve anything in life. And Terry, you are the absolute epitome of that. You can achieve anything if you put your mind
0: to it thank you for that mate. I appreciate you saying that and what a what a good chat um before before we went live to more about, about something similar, but something just came to mind when when you said that there um all the successful people I've interviewed and know you'll be the same you know a lot of wealthy people i've I've often asked people how did you get here and what was the you know was the return point was there a catalyst was some something big what you know what happened how did you get here? Not one of them has ever said, it's because I stuck in at school. (laughs) Not (laughs) one of them has ever, ever said that. So what does that say? What does that say? And and I'd love to meet someone who's achieving massive things in business or life. And and you ask them the reason why. And they say, it's because I I listened in science. Like, no. Um, But anyway, we're we're digressing.
1: (laughs) It's so true. I never stuck in at school. I had lots of part-time jobs at school. Better wear, selling plants and and, um, something else which I won't go on to a live bit wasn't drugs by the way but it was about (laughs) I was too busy working and making money to Mm. actually learn the school and and what I would say is it it wasn't that 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 changed your life it's about seeing an opportunity realising the opportunity and then seizing that moment and going for
0: it without distraction Mm. Love that, love that um, just a couple of questions around. So your packaging and distribution business. Um, don't know too much about that. I know it was really successful at the time. Is there any key lessons or key uh, key key bits of advice you know from from yourself that you'd like to share that you learned throughout that building it from scratch to eight yard people to then I understand. I don't really know what happened. Don't have to discuss that. But I think the 2008 credit crunch kind of screwed up I think yeah any any views any any um key lessons you'd like to share for, from that business experience
1: yeah absolutely so in 1995 when I was about a year into mortgages and I realized very early on it was just breathtaking I was with a group of people in MCA in Newcastle um and this was a mixture of people with different backgrounds doing mortgages. And you go out into someone's house in Newcastle where I, I served me time and you'll be with a family and they'd have, nobody is perfect. Nobody is on 60 grand a year wanting 120 grand mortgage on a 300 grand house, been in the job for 50 years. There's always a story. There's an, always an issue. There's always, well, what do I do with this? And what I realised is everybody I worked with, Terry, nobody recorded anything. Everybody would ring up the the, the lender and ask the same question week after week after week because they never recorded it. So what I did was I started to create yes and no sheets. So there'd be a question and it'd be yes or no and what lenders. And then I just kept this updated and had this book of huge amounts of information. And it was one of the UK's first ever mortgage desks. And I turned mca into what was a national packager by literally recording facts It was as simple as that and because of that i realized because i wasn't getting the right money why don't i do it myself so at the time we had lots of lenders coming over from the stakes we had um, the likes of gmac and platform and southern pacific and I realized that if I got their agencies and I created a mortgage desk and a recorded information, a business would flourish. And EM Financial, which was the ultimate package of business I had, Terry, had 140 people work for me, oh, 36 wow. lender on site. So what happened then was all the lenders we, we had, they offered the mortgages there and then in our offices. Um, yeah. And we also had three correspondence lenders, which was... Basically, myself and a couple of other packages, we had a lender that would originate and on completion sell to somebody else. And I was doing about 1.2 billion a year that time, 2007 that was a, year. Wow. a year. So we're wow. taking in about, we're completing about 100 and about 120 million subprime mortgages. And it was subprime then. And I had um, a real high-level conversation with a big American bank in the April 2007 to sell my package up for millions. Mm. But I had a feeling September 2007 would be memorable. I just had this feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I decided not to take the offer, Terry, and well, wait. And then yeah. in 2007, in the, in the April, uh, in the September when Northern Rock had the queues and the funding crisis, the American banks basically just collapsed. And by the 2008 I had to lay off every one of my staff and sit with them face to face. And it was me and my daughter, Heather, who was just a rock, we had to work through that whole process. But what it teaches you is when adversity comes, Terry, is is the true value of wealth. What I realized at that time, I was one of the richest people I've ever met when it comes to happiness, love, and support. And ultimately that's what matters in life. It isn't having millions in the bank. It's, it's smiling at a bird on a morning on a tree who's singing its little song or the sunrise coming up. Yeah. And I had so many texts and phone calls of people going, Rog, are you all right? And I'm going, Terry, I, I know I owe you three grand. Forget the three grand. I've made a lot of money after your years. Are you all right? This isn't your fault. This is the banking crisis. And to all those brokers, friends, colleagues, staff, family who who stood by me, got me through a very tough period of my life. It wasn't the toughest period of my life. But what that then does is, is the financial system reset. It's now capitalized. It's now liquidized. You can't chop up all these mortgages and keep selling them on. And we now understand what is a safe, secure and affordable financial service business. And if you look now, right now, with the, with the, the funding crisis and the interest, interest rate rises, one, interest rates are not rising at the moment. They haven't risen for a long time. They were put into an emergency measure. And this is where a lot of people forget, is interest rates should never have been 0.1%. That was for an emergency. They were always supposed to have been two and a quarter, two and a half. So once we have the next rise, if it takes us to two and a half, that's what it should have been all the way be. along. So anybody who's going, why are rates rising? Well, I haven't yet. Now the concern and the bit which no government can predict is, is the world is shrinking, and what's happened in Ukraine is is driven up inflation. It's restricted energy, and it creates uncertainty, and markets don't like uncertainty. So this anticipation of where we think the market will go when it comes to rates is. There will be with inflation and the fuel issues, interest rates with inflation will rise, but then they will settle. And if it wasn't for you to I think you'd have seen a base rate around 2% and that would have become the new norm. But it's about unpredictability of what happens if something else happens in the world that affects the economy when it comes to that rate and those margins. But what I would say is we have got the safest ever banking operation this country's ever seen we've got liquidity we've stress tested for this to happen so we know what's going to happen it's just this volatility which was a sweet spot which was created because of the the way that people were happening to to play against the sort of short term um selling of the pound to make money so when we saw interest rates the pound drop and we saw these spikes in swap rates it's where the city were, were betting against the pound just to make a load of money. So there's a lot of traders made a lot of money. And that was a negative situation to most families. And that, that's we, we've got to find a way of not regulating against that. But that, to me, wasn't necessarily good karma. Um, But we are now starting to see things settle, Terry. But I still think we're going to be a year of uncertainty before the market finds or starts to find its new norm. By 2024, I think we will be in a much more stable financial sort of period. Or That's what I'm hoping for, because it's so easy to talk a market down. Interest rates will go at 8%. There'll be a housing price stock. I mean... I've been through loads of recessions. There was going to be a housing price uh, crash in 2008, never happened. There was going to be one in 98, never happened. There's going to be one in 90, it didn't happen because property is something which is tangible. If you've got something that you know is worth 200 grand and you're going to sell it today and I'm going to give you 150, you don't sell. And it's as simple as that. There'll always be a few examples of people who've lost on property, but there'll be always significantly more
0: Terry that gain when it comes to property. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Again, some some great points there. Um, people are always going to want somewhere to live, regardless of what's going on in the economy, regardless of what, what rates are. Like rents are going to go up if less people can afford to buy. And you rightly said there, they've been stress testing this at five, five and a half percent. The lenders have for many years. So if you can't afford it at five, five and a half, you shouldn't have had the mortgage in the first place. Right, but That's, people are are talking about that, and the media are just blowing this up to be something that they're not. That not yeah. that it's not. For, yeah, for sure. you've got
1: to, you've got to, most landlords Terry who are established in this marketplace bought property when it was seven percent base rate, mm. and since then have seen great equity growth. So not only were the the business bought at seven percent base rate, they've had huge equity increases which has further reduced the borrowing. Those that just never read the memo that interest rates had to go up, who bought recently on a high rate in personal names will have some very tough consequences. But the market will then simply the likes of you and me will step in and buy those properties and rent them out. So the, the buy-to-let market is in a better position than it's ever been. There's more people in this country than ever before. We're building less houses, got an increase in divorce. We're bringing in asylum seekers. We're bringing in foreign nationals. Our country is growing and it will carry on growing. We need more people because we've got more jobs than we've got people on the door. And if you look at the bike-led sector, when I put houses on at the moment, I'm getting an average of 13 families per property. And that, if the property's right, it's clean, it's safe, then you will always rent properties. There'll always be
0: a demand. Yeah, 100 percent. And again, the, the media never seem to talk about that. The, the only seem to talk about the negative things yeah. on landlords and investors. Um so just just focusing on, on that point then around rates and around mortgages. You've obviously operated a high level for precise mortgages. You, you know, I think you were there eleven years. Was that was that right? Yeah, yeah. Eleven years. Um, you know, you've seen a lot growth in that time you're highly involved with the people that create the products and everything like that so what do you see for the future of mortgages in terms of is any product changes LTV changes obviously we've talked a little bit about rates but what do you see happening to for, to mortgage products so there's, there's two aspects of this one is residential so mm-hmm. we're
1: residential we have to ensure that the mortgage is affordable and sustainable. So what a lender needs to do is to predict where they think interest rates could likely go to with a lot of imagination and to make Mm -hmm. sure the stress test is built in for that. If you don't Terry and a few years down the line when interest rate rises and you go for possession of that property, the judge will go, well, what account did you take of future increases in rate rises? So, from a residential point of view, there's a huge pressure to ensure that the mortgage is sustainable yeah. and affordable. When it comes to buy to let, the stress test rate dictates the LTV and the return. So, the higher LTVs will be easier met by HMOs, houses of multiple occupancy, because there's a bigger rent roll, ignoring the challenges of, of increasing costs like heating. But when we look now at, at where we're going to get over the next two or three years, because I think at the moment you'll see statistically the highest fixed rates now or in the next six months, and then they'll be like this for the next twelve. Mm-hmm. But if you were looking ahead at what fixed rates will be in three years' time, four years' time, will be lower than where they are now. Mm-hmm. And your problem you've got is properties in the southeast of England, Terry, where you've got low yields and high mm-hmm. mortgages they won't fit. So what you'll see lenders doing is offering lower fixed rate mortgages, but with a 3% fee. What that 3% fee does is allow you to have a lower pay rate to make the affordability fit to get you over the next five years. And as much as no landlord likes higher fixed rates, it's the difference between making the payments affordable and profitable your net profit from the property after your expenses by having that, that lump sum, that higher um, lender fee allows you to get through this next five-year period. And then in five years' time, if interest rates are still high, you either have to maybe sell some of your backlets and bring down your overall um, loan to value to get better rates. But I think that's what you'll see lenders doing is lenders will offer – Lower fixed rates than 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 you would normally see because they've made the margin back on that that say three percent
0: fee. Mm. Yeah, it's a good point, point I never thought about that about the actual arrangement fees. What's what's the typical at the moment? It's, I mean, it does vary, doesn't it? It's-
1: yeah, about a thousand pounds because a lot of landlords are against the the lender fee because it eats at the equity. If you're outside of london your equity growth can be zero if you take the not take stockton let's not go newcastle newcastle's posh everyone you go stockton <laughs> my portfolio hasn't really grown in the last 20 years in equity position birmingham slightly different um but having that lender fee can make that difference that, that and, and but what you're going to remember it's it's a country of at least two halves london where we're seeing rents rise. And the reason rents rising so high in London, Terry, isn't mm-hmm. because of supply. It's the fact of George Osborne's announcement of interest relief. So if you've got a buy let in London, you're a high rate taxpayer, you've got to move it to a short-term let. The reason you move it to a short-term let is you can offset the interest and you can actually command more for people who want to rent the house for a week. It's illegal for most people to do that because the mortgage contract doesn't allow you to rent on a short-term basis. So it means you're not insured even if you are insured and Sadiq Khan is against properties being rented on a short-term let basis. That said, one in 40 40 properties in London is rented on a short-term let basis, which is reducing the supply from the long-term market, which is inadvertently increasing rents. But within two years, It'll they'll have outlawed completely the ability to do short-term lets in London as really? we see today, similar to what they've done in Edinburgh. Because the only way they can bring rents down in London is to stop short-term lets.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Um, it, so how, it, how when are you gonna, understand just... it, it is it is the problem. And how how are they going to do it? Because I know I've got friends who've got Airbnb properties short-term let in in London. How how? Is there a 90-day rule or something already, but then are they just going to say you're not allowed? Is that what you think?
1: Well, there'll be all sorts of challenges and risks, but what they'll do is you'll need planning permission. So the the Deregulation Act of 2015 makes it, if you do rent your property out for more than 90 days, it is illegal in London, right? Mm. Now, there'll be an element of common sense. So if you've got a house near Wimbledon, you might want to rent it out for two weeks. Is that really a problem? Not really, unless you're a hotel in London and you're going, it is a problem. Um, but what, what I think you'll find is under the selective licensing rules, which is now virtually encompasses London, they'll bring in some form of enforced regulation because people who do short term let's do it all year. And what they're doing is this, they take more and more properties off the market of long-term let, that's what driving the rent up. Because if you went down the COVID, Terry, London's rents were at the all time low during COVID. Why was that? Mm. It wasn't because people moved back to Newcastle, Teesside and Birmingham. It was because the the short term let market went, gosh, we can't rent our properties out. So let's put them on Mm. long term. So the highest ever amount of properties became available to rent in London. And it was just, there was more supply than demand. And as soon as COVID finished, all those properties went back to short-term let. And nobody's really talking about that. So it's understanding about what you can do and what's what's maintainable and where's that market going. So if you're in the short-term let market, there's a number of factors you'd need to think about. Will your current lender allow you to do short-term let? Because Mm. there's no point insuring your property if they won't because... When something bad happens, the insurance company will ask to see the current AST and the copy of the mortgage condition. And if you're a short term let, you may find yourself got some problems.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting point. And I think you're right. Not many people are talking about that. People will just be, you know, people will just be cracking on doing the the short term let's for the extra profit. And you can't blame them to a degree, but people need to be a bit, bit, bit more careful of that and aware of that. Yeah. Um, for sure. We talked a little bit about the about um opportunities. So so where do you feel there is an opportunity? You know, whether we like it or not, the transaction levels are going to drop a little bit currently because of the rates and because of the media. Um maybe it's not going to be as much as the media say it's going to be. <laughs> um, but do you see any main opportunities for property investors at the moment? Uh, to purchase, to, to purchase in particular areas or particular types of properties or any particular strategies that you think would work at the moment.
1: Yeah, understanding, and I'm going to be clear about this, Terry. Understanding the consultation now. Consultation. I don't need to get you to get a dictionary out. Means it's it's we're having a debate. There's been so many lenders saying that um, from April 2025 to rent a bite to let, it must have a C rating. Well. That is absolutely rubbish because that consultation, second reading in parliament still hasn't happened a year later on. So the government is rethinking what's appropriate to do when it comes to the bike let market. And we don't know. What we do know is if we track forward is ultimately properties need to aspire to a C rating. Mm-hmm. We know that there's going to be an increase in populations, going to carry on growing. And we know because as interest rates rise, the consequence is less people will be able to afford to buy property. And therefore, the consequences for the long-term opportunity for the buy-let market is better than it's ever been. Yeah. If you're looking from a profitability point of view on a long-term investment, would be 10 or 20 years, what do you need to invest in that property? So if you take 10 years, what may go things like boiler, double, glazing? Um, th- these are the kind of things you need to predict. I, and my strategy is new build. So I'm looking at two bed houses. And mm-hmm. from my survey, two beds are sweet spot. One's too small. Three can be sometimes too expensive either to be able to buy or mm-hmm. the demand. So two bed, enclosed garden, with the Tenant Reform Act, uh, people now want to work from home have a safe place for the children to run around and maybe have a dog. And they want car parking at the front for two cars that can plug into electrical sockets. We're talking over the next 10 years. Mm. New build properties don't come with any um, investment required for the next 10 years when it comes to EPC ratings. So I can actually look and think, right, if I'm buying now today, even with fixed rates at 6%, what loan to value do I need to be at? Most likely buying a limited company, You've got then the builder maintaining the property for any major expense in the next 10 years. You can actually look at what your profitability would be. It's lesser so with your Victorian properties, Terry. So the opportunity in the buy-to-let market is definitely new build, two bed houses, not flats. And then the other area would be HMOs where you've got digital integration with heating supplies to make sure it's energy efficiency or what you're doing when it comes to the short-term holiday lets or short-term lets itself, or you diversify the areas that you've done with glamping. But my own personal strategy for the mass market, simple light touch is new build, two bed, semi-detached properties. That's where I think the biggest opportunity comes from and and where you will have a guaranteed market Terry.
0: Again, I think that's another it's a different angle that I haven't heard many people talk about. I've always shied away from New Build because you typically pay the premium. Um in capital growth, you know, it doesn't really occur because you buy a bit of a premium, don't you? But but you're completely right. If you're looking at that over I was maybe looking shorter term, but if you're looking over ten years, you you'll get that capital growth more than likely. And certainly your costs are going to be reduced. Um and there might you know there might be some deals to be had if house builders are behind on targets because less people are purchasing there might be some deals to be to be well, had
1: yeah we have to be careful we don't go back to 2007 when mortgage express went down where we got a little bit too involved in in getting deals with builders what mm. i would say is i truly believe there's a new build premium now but it's the opposite it's positive because if you take a victorian terrace you're going to have to spend quite a lot of money on it to keep it legal And Mm. possibly, it could be, I'm estimating a Victorian terrace could be as much as 30 grand investment needed over the next five, seven years. Might be 15 grand, depends if the tenants are on benefits, there might be support. But when new build, there's no investment. You know that you're going to be able to rent that property out and you get more rent because there's a new build premium on rent. So I don't no longer see... That you're paying 5% just because it's new build. I see the opposite long term. And um, the sites I'm buying on at the moment, Terry, it's about 50% of landlords that are buying because the writings on the wall is it's the most sustainable long term from a spreadsheet point of view when it comes to your profitability. Mm. I think it should be part of your overall offering. Mm.
0: I mean also just thinking about it, you can you can charge a premium on rents for sure if that's brand new um you well, just yeah. yeah you know the, the young couples like you say, that that you mentioned there they might want a or they've got maybe one or two young kids or the plan on having a family those people will be more inclined to to put a deposit down a rental deposit that is on on something that's brand new. It's a bit more modern. They just will. Even visually from the outside, it's more up their street. It's more to their taste, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Yeah,
1: it it is because the modern family, if you are moving into a house now and you've got your children in particular schools mm. and you are moving in there, you over the next five years, most likely one of you will have an electric car so you want somewhere to plug it in. You want you're going to work from home one or two days a week. So you want a garden. You don't want a flat, and with flats it's the service charges. Mm-hmm. Under the tenant reform, you want a dog, and having your kids at home in the summer holidays, letting them play in the garden, the paddling pool, with the dog, you can work in in the lounge. You keep an eye on them; they can't escape. So you got less worry. Mm. Your heating costs, which is going to be the big problem this winter, because it's new build, the ones that we've been buying are B rated. You know, we've, we've been back and checked with those tenants, and they're going, These how we've hardly had the heating on, Rog. You know, it, it's made such a difference. They've come mm. from um, one of the guys who come from a, a Victorian area of uh, Bearwood in Birmingham, and his bill, his heating costs have gone down 80%, but his rent cost has gone up because he's paying more for this new build but overall the quality of life just feels better i'm not i'm not um moving away from victorian properties but i'm just saying people like that freshness and the newness so, so i'd say terry take a real look at new build
0: yeah it's a good shout i think um a lot of the listeners will I'll respond to that as well. I think that's a great shout. Um, any other opportunities or any other things to 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 stay away from? I like the, the HMO thing. I'm 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 into HMOs as you know, and I'm buying a few more. Um any other opportunities or any things that people need to be re- really aware of, in your in your opinion, in terms of landlords, that is? Well, let me go back
1: about I think it was be about nine years ago to a holiday in in Newcastle. And I've always believed in education about what is a buy-to-let, how does it work, what are the structures of ownership, so limited companies, um, personal ownership. So first of all, if you're buying a buy-to-let and you do not understand between the structures of ownership, so limited company SPVs, what are the pros and cons, the fact that they can offset 100% of interest, or buy-to-lets in personal names. So have you've got them as joint tenants or tenants in common, and what's your current tax threshold. And then it's about understanding the different types of property, your standard buy let um, your flats with service charges, you've got your HMOs, you've got your holiday-lets, you've got your short-term-lets. And it's about really understanding that. And I remember young Terry being on that course. <laughs> what you wanted to do at that time was to understand every aspect of owning a property. And what you did, was you, instead of just, I want one, you broke down every single component and fully understood it from both the mortgage side, from the structure of ownership, the tax advice, the property, its location. You did your research with letting agents at what the rental demand was. You know, go to a letting agent and say, where would I buy? You know, my, if, if you're new at this, go to a letting agent and go, where's the most demand? I find like in the Midlands, and it's the same with Stockton, It's by a hospital because there's so much transient staff within the NHS and doctors want to be as close as they can to that hospital and what they want is a house which has got all the mod cons, Playstations, coffee machines, spend some money on them. So if you're looking for top tip, it's by properties near hospitals and Mm -hmm. aim them at the professionals who are just, they just haven't got the tap. they get paid a lot of money, but they want to be near the hospital in a safe, controlled, luxury environment. But what you did, Terry, was you learned and you understood the market. And you specifically then started to focus on different aspects of the market. So don't buy unless you fully understand what it is that you're buying, where you're buying and how. And my, my best advice is see a tax advisor early on. The tax advisor will start you on that journey that when you get to your end destination, you won't, you won't lose money.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Again, plenty good advice in there. And there's an analogy that always comes to mind with what you said there. And I I do try and do this in every business I'm involved in. I don't need to know everything. Going back to the original point, you can recruit people to help you with your weaknesses, but I I personally need a good understanding of what I'm going to do before I do it. Yeah. Because then, you know, I think it's pretty foolish to jump into a business, a certain type of business, or start investing your money. You know, you see loads of crazy people investing in Bitcoin and they don't understand it and doing things they don't understand. Yeah. For me, just the way my brain works is I have to understand it before I do it. Yeah. So yeah, I did a great course with Roger. Highly recommend if, if Roger does anything like that. You know, try and try and attend. You know, he talks. He talked me through the difference between personally owned and, and SPVs, which was a relatively new thing at the time, wasn't it? Because this was a good yeah. few years back. Um, but yeah, I then sold the properties that I owned in my personal name. And then yeah. I set up an SPV and started to purchase heavily in an SPV. But, but without speaking to somebody, getting guidance from someone who knows the stuff or who's done it before, I think is where people will then start to get caught out. So if, if you've got your higher rate taxpayer and you've got some properties in your personal names... Then you are on a variable or you know SBR something crazy and, and those jump up, like you weren't making much profit before. You're definitely not going to be now. It's because they rushed into it without understanding the options and what's actually yeah. going on. And I yeah. think that's a really, really important point in every type of business and in every venture that anybody gets involved in. Don't rush it. Make yeah. sure you, you you spoke to people who've done what you want to do. Yeah, or, or where you want to be before you jump in, I think um that's a really, really good point. Really good point. Um what is there any um well sorry just going back a step I wanted to ask about precise because anybody in financial services on the mortgage world will know Roger um because you've seen him on a stage or you've seen him talking talking from precise or seeing him handing out pens or whatever you hand out in those little events, Rog. Um you know you 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 would you would have heard him speak or you, you'll know what he's achieved at Precise. Just is there any, any advice or lessons that you've learned throughout the Precise journey that you could share? Because there'll be people listening who maybe are from a corporate background or who are in a professional job. Uh, it's not just property people on who listen to the show. So is there any advice that you can give from being in that cor- – going from business to corporate, first of all, and then being in a high-level corporate that you've learned and that you could share? I think that would be interesting.
1: Yeah when you're building a brand Terry you can't build it from a classroom you can't build it from a boardroom you've got to build it from the trenches you've got to be out with the end customer so in, in my world it was the broker so mm-hmm. i needed to be at as many events as possible to do as many meetings as possible in people's offices brokers offices you know i remember meeting you a few times Terry in in, in different offices by being at the forefront of what you, the broker wants, by knowing where your service is, by taking those phone calls and even right at the end, I'd maybe take 30 phone calls a day. It's more emails now than it was 10 years ago. So if you've got a problem with a case, it's Rog, can you help me with this? 10 years ago, it was phone calls. So it is, life has changed where I would have been on the phone all day sorting out cases now people know if they email you, you'll get a faster response because if you're in a meeting, you forward it on. And what I did was we wanted to develop um, a lender, a specialist lender that was 100% focused on the intermediary. So it meant you couldn't come direct. So we had to work out by asking the intermediary, by asking the broker, what is it they wanted and mm-hmm. delivering on what they want, which was the assurity of its decision, the confidence in the brand, and something that they identified with and by doing those events. And the big thing is you've got to give something back. So education, I will give education that will teach you about buy to and You can go to any lender, absolutely any lender. However, in your mind, I have enconced myself into your brain that I was the person who helped you. And is that loyalty where possible, subject to rate, will get the right thing? But what you have to do, and and that's why I started the social media with LinkedIn, was you've got to connect with people, show people you're having a fun, show people you're around there and give them ideas. And you from that, that foundation, and you've got to have the right team around you. You know, we had an amazing team, Jamie Pritchard, amazing sales team, and Alan Cleary had that confidence to go and let his team do. What they do best. So if you've got someone brilliant in your business that is awesome at what they do, let them go, let them go, let them be them. Because if you try and teach somebody or, or steer somebody in a direction that you are not skilled in, the outcome will not be the same than if you just trust them. Let them go and trust them. Obviously, you're going to have care, responsibility, compliance, everything yeah. else that goes with it, but. Having the right team in the right place, just let them do what
0: they've got to do. Mm. Yeah, I, more gems. I think a couple of things I picked up on that. I think that last point you made. I just had a conversation with one of our staff actually last week, and, and it was a one on one. It was an annual review. And I said, How do you enjoy, you know, how you how you feeling working here? Are you enjoying it, et cetera? She's over the moon. She obviously loves it working for me, obviously. obviously. Yeah. But, but one thing she said, she went, you don't micromanage And I think micromanagement, I think is maybe is a little bit of something in the past because people are different now. You used to be yeah. able to rule with an iron fist and tell people, do this. Now this is what you need to do. Now people are generally a little bit more educated and a little bit maybe softer or they, they know the rights. You, you can't really act like that. But it's not just that you actually, I mean, this lady in particular is flourishing, probably one of the best hires I've ever made. She said, I am... You're getting the best out of me by letting yeah. me be. And yes, you've got to, you've got to, um, you've got to trust them. But I think maybe checking up on them initially. But then once you've got a little bit of trust, just let them be and let them be them. Like you right, You said, people flourish, people develop. You get the best out of your team. And imprecise wouldn't be what it was without you. And it wouldn't be what it was without the team, team either. And I think, um, that's one one point I picked up, and the second one you said at the start there was, um, around educating. You, you said you know, precisely, you had to get in front of people. You had to get in meeting rooms. You had to get to events. You had to speak to the brokers. If you've got a business, and I think, applies to a lot of businesses. If you certainly, if your customer face and get out there and speak to people, get you were gaining trust. When I first heard you speak, you got my attention, and I thought credibility, when I heard you speak, because you've been there, done it, you speak very well, very knowledgeable, people will then naturally warm to you and want to Precise. And whether that's in whatever type of business that people have who are listening, I think that's a real good lesson there, and a the learning point is, get out there and speak to people, because it doesn't really matter how good Precise was at the time, if you weren't telling people about them, how they're going to even know about them. Yeah. The,
1: and the and I think... Terry, human, we are now in a world where we, we start relationships and end them with a, with a text. We, we yeah. communicate by email. We, we do Facebook. We, how often you will see young, ch- young kids, teenagers, just sat doing this over the phone mm-hmm. um, and, and not speaking to each other. Um, more now do we see the desire for concerts, events, Sports events, the theatre, where we physically go and enjoy it. We could watch Newcastle win on the weekend on TV, but isn't it a bit better there to be, you know, at at the at the tomb in St James's mm-hmm. and and listen to the the atmosphere? Never underestimate human contact. Picking up the phone and going back to those values. You don't have to do it as much as we used to, but the looking somebody deep in the eye, you will get their mental state. You'll never pick that up on a text or a phone call. You know, I, I helped somebody at the weekend. And if I hadn't have been on a Zoom call, FaceTime, I wouldn't have been able to read the eyes to know there was something wrong. And I was able to then change the direction of their life just by being able to see them. So by being able to go into someone's business, where their brokerage, see their desk, see their working environment, you'll learn so much more about them. And then sitting and say, what have you got on, on your desk? I'll place it wherever it is. I've got a foundation case. Well, let me have a look at it. I know foundation's underwriting as good as they do. Have a look, yeah, that'll work with foundation. Or you might want to think of this, not for Rose as a lender, but this is, you might want to do this and I think don't try and take every piece of their business only take what's right and what's not right is help them place it somewhere else people will always ring me and go Rog what do I do with this and I'll go right this is what you need this is what you want to get get me this and then come back to me and I'll tell you what to do and then by the time they've got those facts they come back and go I know what I'm doing now I'll yeah. do it with this so let let people think for themselves to show them how to think
0: mm. yeah i think i think that's great advice for when you were saying that i was thinking about other bdms and uh, you you actually done something similar to me i remember bringing a case to you when i was doing mortgages and you were like well it's not one for us but we tried this this and this You need, and, and i think that's a really powerful way of actually selling as well mm. if you're selling a particular product if you're honest with your customers whatever type of customer that is and say, that's not one for us. You Mm -hmm. might be better go to such and such, but what we can do for you is this. Yeah. That's a really powerful way because it doesn't, from the customer's point of view, it doesn't feel like you're just trying to sell them. Yeah. Your product, you're being honest and you're actually thinking, well, you know, you could try this. You're helping. And in turn, that that probably builds your reputation with that person higher than just trying to push their product or saying, oh, I'm not sure. Cause you don't want to give the business to a competitor. Yeah. Um, and I do actually remember when you 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 did do that with me at least a couple of times when I've rang you in in the past. Um,
1: and Terry with the iPhone now, what I'll do now is I I won't I can't do it now because I'm I'm in between jobs, but I would I would have my favourite BDMs from other lenders in the phone, and I'd I'd hang on the second, Terry. Let me ring Nathan now, or let me ring Jamie, and I'd put him on the call, and I'd go, Jamie, right? He's got this deal. Daddy, 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 well, you do that, brilliant, great. Right, my work's done. Right, Terry, I'll leave you with, uh, with, say, whoever it is, and then you send the call. So you put them through, made connected. them feel special, helped them, mm-hmm. and that's such a powerful thing because they're going, it just, it leaves and you build you build an integrity in a brand and then people will then get back. In financial services now, you you've got to get the rates, everything, the value of the customer. Yeah. But if you're there or thereabouts or you've got service problems, you'll build in more goodwill. And I think it's just about the do do um do to others as you would be done by yourself. So think about what is it you want, particularly on a Friday afternoon when someone emails someone says we can't do this case and you're going, Oh God. My busiest time in financial services is between five and seven on a Friday, picking up other people's um, problems that they just didn't want to hear. And BDMs will disappear. you got a BDM who just doesn't return the phone
0: call when there's problems. nothing worse. Delete them. Mm. I can think Delete of a few them. them. I can definitely think of a few them. I'm glad I'm not a mortgage broker. Well, I I don't know. if I'm. I haven't got a mortgage brokerage anymore, which I'm glad about. because that's one thing I didn't like. But Roger, it's been a um, fantastic episode. It's been full of loads of gems, loads of lessons, loads of key points. I think people in financial services and outside of financial services will, will learn from something from the episode. If anybody wants to reach out to you, Roger, if anyone wants to get in contact, you know, you you're uh, he's a great person to speak to. If you are just wanting a bit of advice on on building a portfolio. Um, or anything mortgage-related or financial services-related, what is the best way for people to reach out to you? I think the easiest way would be to go on the LinkedIn and just message me on
1: LinkedIn, so Roger Morris uh, on LinkedIn, or email me at roger
0: 8 At me.com, perfect. Well, Roger, thank you so much, mate. It's been a great episode. Uh, I appreciate your time today. Thanks, Terry, and thanks, everybody, for listening in. Thanks, mate. Hi, everyone. Just before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you could pop onto Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. The more reviews we get, the more attention the podcast gets. And then it enables me to get even better guests and give even more inspiration and even more motivation to you guys. So I'd really appreciate it if you popped onto Apple Podcasts, left us a review, shared the podcast with your friends and family, and plenty on social media to try and grow the podcast which enables me to inspire you guys even more. Thank you so much. I'm really, really grateful. I really appreciate it and have a fantastic day.